My name's Darren. Um, my wife Lauren is here. We have a, a daughter called Amelia, who is two. Parents, if you know, you know. Um, she's two years old. We have another daughter on the way this summer. Um, we have, thanks. We have a we have a dog called Drake. Um, I kind of like if we're gonna just keep having girls, then I'm gonna have to start buying male dogs. Um, just to keep the testosterone level up in the house. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, we come from the north. We grew up in a church there. We served on the youth there. We got to lead youth ministry across Ireland. Felt like the Lord talked to me about moving to Dublin when I was like 18 years old. And I'm not going to give it away, but that was a little while ago. And we, yeah, we moved uh, just in time to get locked up in 2020. Um, we moved sort of, sort of into January 2020. We're like, all right, let's go. Let's plant the church. And then you can't leave your house. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a real interesting season. Ended up in that season, transitioning to St. Mark's. We get to serve youth and young adults there. Um, my wife's involved in worship. We're kind of trying to plug holes everywhere that we can, trying to serve the Lord as best we can. And really just felt like the Lord spoke to us about Balbriggan during lockdown. Actually, we had some remarkable stories of you know, people just in the middle of lockdown, these two girls like knocked our door. And we were like, what's that noise? Because nobody's knocked the door in months. And uh, there are two girls there and they're just saying, we've heard you believe something about Jesus that we've never heard before. Do you mind if we have a chat? We're like, yes, come on in. <laughs> come on in. And uh, stay two meters, but come on in. And... Yeah, one of, the, one of those girls ended up, she gave her life to Jesus a few months later. She, she says sometimes the, the first church she ever was in was in our living room. Um, and now she's, like, she's in Lisbon studying for a bit at the minute, but she's on the worship team. She's serving in St. Mark's and God is good. And so for anybody, does anybody know where Balbriggan is? Yeah, I didn't until we moved. I knew we drove past the sign um, sometimes, but it's a, it's a town of around 30,000 people. It's got a really young demographic. It's, I think, 35% of the town is under 18. Um, it's got schools. It's full of houses, schools, and chippers, and that's, that's Valbriggan, but and chemists. There's a lot of chemists for whatever reason, too. But we, yeah, probably because there's lots of chippers. Um, but yeah, it's one of those, you know, it feels like the Lord called us to be fishers of men, and it feels, I guess we, our conversation with Pastor Sean and Pastor Des, whenever we moved, we're like, this area kind of feels like fish are jumping. People are just hungry for it. I guess I described the spiritual temperature of that area as, do you know that feeling when you come home, and you're not that hungry, and then you smell food, and all of a sudden, I need to eat right now. And I guess people are in that stage where they're starving for something, but they just haven't smelt something worth eating yet. And so our goal is that we, we, we give them something, we show them something, something that their hearts are hungry for. Anyway, let's get into the Word of God for a bit. Hey, yeah, I, I don't know if, hey, if you've noticed, but I, I noticed recently that, um, I know Northern Irish people do this weird thing. I've met a bunch of Irish people that do it too. If I said to Pastor Sean, that's a nice top, there's a good chance the first thing he might tell me is where he got it and how much it cost. <laughs> yeah. Where'd you get that? Where, I go, that? 
they're nice shoes. Oh, I got them in JD and they cost me 50. And it's like the first thing we do. Or I don't know, um, my wife Lauren loves a little website called ASOS. And sometimes I'll open the... She's, <laughs> that, I wish she was a brand ambassador. Um, but sometimes I'll open our green bin, which is where the, like just to put some recycling out. And it's where our postman has decided that's where he'll leave the parcels. And I'll go another parcel and I'll come in and I'll say Lauren what's this she's like it was only 15 quid and like it's like it's like we want to know how much everything costs we're obsessed with like the cost of things and um and I guess it's just an interesting weird trait that we all do obsessed with cost and I want to try to chat about cost a little bit today um I really feel like God was showing me some things and giving me some things that I I might that I wanted to share with you today you might want to zone out but please don't when I give you the word because actually the topic isn't just cost that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this idea of sacrifice and what does sacrifice really mean. I don't know when someone says the word sacrifice. I love like history stuff and watching weird documentaries. And so sometimes when someone says sacrifice, I see like the Vikings around a fire and um, all of this like blood and animals and uh, your mind might go somewhere like that or also, when we talk about sacrifice, our minds sometimes go to the sense of loss or lack or less because I've sacrificed something. It conjures up all sorts of pictures. And I've heard some people say things like, you know, oh, in this journey of following Jesus, the Lord will just keep pouring out and you just keep receiving. And the Lord does pour out and we do receive. Like, and we hear people talk about health, wealth, prosperity, you name it, you claim it. You can have it in the name of Jesus. And it's all about like accumulation. What can I get from God? If I give my little bit to God, then I'm just gonna get over here. This is the best investment I'll ever make. Like I'm not gonna put that 100 euro anywhere else because the Lord's gonna give me it back 10X over here. And I hear all like, it's all about receiving and what I get and what I get and what I get. And the Lord does that. I guess I want to try to chat to us about it today because I feel like the blessing from God always comes on the other side of a sacrifice. Because of the joy that was before him, he would endure the cross. The blessing would come through a sacrifice and I want you to be blessed. But if we miss the sacrifice bit, then we might not get all that God has for us. The scriptures actually teach us that in order to find my life, I must lose it. That I'm supposed to follow Jesus by picking up my cross and following him, laying my life down less of me. It actually reads through the scriptures that this life of following Jesus isn't just about what I can get, but what could I give away? What could I give to him? I fear that we live in this space that we say words like sacrifice. And I hear people say, oh, I was such a, like a, I sacrificed this to God or this was such a sacrifice. But tomorrow their life is just the same. And if I can just continue on, then is that a sacrifice? Because I heard someone say, if you've seen someone with their cross back in the day, you knew that they weren't coming back. Like things would be different. The world would be different because of that sacrifice. And so I want to look at a story in the Bible. It's this jewel. It's this like 
story that sometimes we read and it's like, yeah, let's go. And we're going to jump into the Old Testament in 1 Kings 18, 20 to 39. We're going to read quite a bit of Bible. I hope that's okay with you. It's probably going to be the best part of my talk. So um, please listen in. Um, It says this, Ahab summons all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Everybody's there. It says, then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450. Now bring two bulls, the prophets of Baal may choose choose whatever one they want. They'll cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood for the altar, but without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and I will put it on the altar and not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God and everybody agrees. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first because there's lots of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, call on the name of your God, but don't set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, placed it on the altar, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Surprise, surprise. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. And about noontime, Elijah begins mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or he's relieving himself or maybe he's away on a trip or is he asleep and you need to wake him up. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they began to cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply and no response. And then Elijah calls to the people, come over here. And they all gathered round him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons, and he piled wood on the altar, cut the bull bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering on the wood. After they'd done it, he said, do it again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. And so they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah walks up to the altar and prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me, so these people will know that you are God, and you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately, the fire of God flashed down from heaven, burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it even licked up all of the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Remarkable picture. This is one of the scenes in the Bible when I'm reading it. I'm like, I wish I could see it. I wish I could see it. I wish I could just watch on and um, be in the middle of it. Fascinating passage. And do you know how many times I've read that passage? 
And like my conclusion is this, God is alive. Yes, let's go. Like, Baal, you're not God. This isn't God. This isn't God. You're the one true God. Like, let's go. Like, set the fire. All, all of these like motivational moments come out of this passage for me. But just a while ago, I was reading through it and I noticed some details in the passage that I had missed before. I, kinda, I guess I kind of noticed them, but hadn't really thought about them. And it was in verses 33 to 35. It says, he, he puts the wood on the altar, cuts the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. That was normal. That's what they did. Every time they brought a sacrifice, that's what they would do. Then he says, fill four large jars with water, pour it over, do it again, do it again. And the water ran all over it and filled a trench that he had dug around it he would add something different to the sacrifice because that wasn't normal. That wasn't what you would normally do. I used to think that the water, I also used to read it and think that the water was like adding to the mockery. Like, listen, soak it. Anybody ever tried to like light something that's wet? Like, he's like, soak it. God will burn it anyway. Like, soak it. Water's no match for him. I used to like read it through it like that. God could still burn it. But I guess as I was reading through it, I felt like the Holy Spirit really began to speak to me. And this is a top tip for you if you read your Bible and you don't understand what's going on. The Holy Spirit was there. So you read it and say, you were there. Can you show me what was going on? Can you show me something? And I felt like he really like, zoned me in on the water. I was like, what's the, what's the point of the water? Like, what is it? What are you trying to show me? And I felt like the Holy Spirit really spoke to me and said, I, the fire only fell because the water was there. Surely it's for your glory. Surely the fire fell for your glory. Surely the fire fell because all these people were far from you and you wanted them to come close to you. Like surely it didn't even really matter what was on the altar because everybody was there and you were gonna show up and show off and let everyone know you are the one true God and Baal is not. Surely it was Elijah's faith. Surely it was for the spectacle. But I really felt like God was speaking to me and going, no, no, it was the water. And then it clicked with me, James 5, says this, it says, Elijah was a human just like we are. And it says that he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall and then none fell for three and a half years. Later in this chapter, like the very next thing in this chapter is Elijah disappears and he says to his servant, the rain's coming, I can hear rain. And he sends him to look for a cloud and there's a whole story, go and look for the cloud the size of a man's hand. And the rain falls And so at the time of this, it had not rained for three and a half years. In Ireland, we barely get three and a half minutes. Um, What do you wear? And how much did it cost? Um, But if you don't have rain for three and a half years, what very quickly becomes the most precious thing on the earth? Water. And so in this moment... In this moment, like they're in the middle of a famine. They are in the middle of a drought. They did not know when it would rain again. Elijah did not hear the rain coming till after this. This was the most precious thing on the planet right now. And he says, go get some of it for me and pour it on that altar. And then actually get some more and pour it on that altar. And you know what I'll do? I'll dig a trench so it can hold even more Three times, go and get it. The most precious thing we own, go get as much of it as you can and put it on this altar. 
I think in the moment he said, I need this to really cost me something. And actually, it wasn't just money. This thing threatened their survival. (laughs) This threatened, they didn't know it was coming back. They didn't know it was going to come back round. They didn't know when it was, if it was ever going to rain again. But they were saying, no, get the water and put it on the altar. It reminds me of a story in 2 Samuel where David goes to give a sacrifice and someone says to him, I'll give you the field for the sacrifice for you to build the altar and I'll give you the stuff for the sacrifice for free as a gift. And he says, I can't take it from you because I can't give the Lord that which costs me nothing. This has to cost me something. If I'm going to give it to him, it has to cost me something. Elijah understood that this has to cost us something. Elijah understands in that moment, this might be a sacrifice that's fit for Baal. But the Lord, my God, this has to cost me something. This has to cost me something. And something about Elijah creating a sacrifice that would cost him almost everything, God would show up. The fire would fall. It's not because Elijah gets the right words in the right order. It's not because everybody's there. It's because Elijah in the middle of everything that's going on said, I will build a sacrifice that costs me everything I've got. Everything I have got. Elijah's sacrifice would be the thing that would unlock what the Lord was doing and the Lord's purpose in that day. It would, Elijah's sacrifice would prove to everybody that day that God is God, that he is the Lord and he is who he says it is. And because of the order of events, I guess my mind starts to wonder, is it possible that Elijah's sacrifice, the fact that he was willing to pay everything to, for God in that moment, is it possible that that was the thing that unlocked the answer to the prayers from the nation. Because you can guarantee those people are praying for rain. They're praying for it. They're praying for rain. And the rain comes. I don't think it's a coincidence that when Elijah pours something on the altar, that would cost him everything. It didn't just unlock the answers to his prayer right there in that moment, but it begins to unlock the doors and the answers of prayer come for a nation, for the nations, because of what he did. And so let's bring it to today. We pray and we cry out. We say, God, do something. God, do something in my day. God, do something in our nation. God, do something in our land. God, do something here. God, do something. God, would you move? Would you show? Because what happened that day is what we want to happen in our day. I want people to see that God is who he says he is and he can do all he says he can do. I want this city, this island, I want it to know that Jesus is the only way back to the Father. I want them to know I have a prayer inside of me. There's people everywhere and they're searching for something and I want them to stand in a spot where God proves himself, like shows himself to them and they turn and give their lives to him. And we're crying out that God would do something spectacular in our day. I hear of all the stories of things that he has done and I say, God, do it in my day. I don't care if you do it through me. I just want to see it. I just want to be there. I want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I want you to do it through our churches. I want you to do it in our nation and at the same time, how often am I just not willing to put something on the altar before him that costs me something? 
God, you do it. Okay, Darren, well, I'll need you to do that. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Let me stop you right there, God. You do it. God, do something. Sometimes I've, I've prayed that prayer for so long. God, do something. And I remember once praying it and feeling like God said, I already did. I sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin. So, Darren, you do something. But it has to cost us something. And I think our problem is that sometimes we're so willing, like we're up for it. We're all up for a sacrifice as long as it fits in with our convenience. But a sacrifice has to cost me something. It has to cost me something. Oh, I'll sacrifice 10%, God. But don't you ask me for my bank account or my house. I'm not saying that he's asking anybody for their bank account or their house, but... He might be. God, I'll give you my Sunday. But don't you ask me for the other six. You can have Sunday morning. But when I'm out of here, I'm going for a roast. Church is over. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Amen for a roast on the front row. Lord, I'll give you a mission trip once a, week, once a year. I'll go away for a week. I'll serve at kids camp. But the rest of the year... God, the rest of that annual leaves for me. And I'm not criticizing any of those things because actually those things are important principles that we give and we give into the house of God and that we give God our Sundays and that we take time off to serve God and we give God some of our annual leave. All that stuff's important to me. But some of those initial things, and initially some of those things are huge. Initially some of those things are massive to us, but I'm not basing my sacrifice on everybody else and what's going on around me. I'm basing my sacrifice on him. I really feel like the Lord's searching for people like he talks about in Matthew 13, who would find a treasure in a field and would say, this is worth me selling everything for. I'll sell everything I've got for this treasure that I have found. I feel like the Lord's looking for those type of people. And I know that people will look on and go, are you mad? All of that to get, why would you sell everything? It's not worth, like, it's not worth all of it. It's not worth everything. But Paul teaches us that in comparison to him, everything else is worthless. I count everything as lost so that I might gain him and be one with him. He's the treasure in the field. He's totally worth it, whatever he asks. There's a woman in Matthew 26 and she bursts through a crowd that she wasn't welcome to into a party that she wasn't invited to. And she gets before Jesus in front of all of these, like this was like the A-list party. And she bursts through everybody and she shouldn't be there and she shouldn't be doing what she's doing. And she gets before his feet and she pours oil on him in that moment. And this is the most expensive thing that she owns. She pours out this oil before him. And it's like, this is her entire financial security. She pours it out before him. And some people scorned her and some other followers of Jesus were like, what is she doing? We could sell that and we could give the money to the poor. Like this is an absolute 
absolute waste, but she had a revelation of Jesus Christ and she understood all that he had done for her and how he had saved her and changed her and she understood who he was and it caused her to step out of her convenience and out of her comfort and step outside of her security and sacrifice her social status and sacrifice her reputation and lay everything on the altar before God because she could not bring Jesus an offering that cost her nothing. She sacrificed everything for him because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. And sometimes I find myself getting so tight-fisted with stuff, with my time, with my finances, with my security, with all the things I'm trying to build to make my life more comfortable. And I find myself getting so tight-fisted. And do you know when I get there, do you know what I've realized? I've forgotten, ultimately, Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the goal. There's nothing in my life that isn't worth giving up in order to get him. To get him. Jesus is the goal. Ask Jody, will you come and give me a hand, make me sound more spiritual for a few minutes? Here's the difficulty for me in this idea of bringing Jesus an offering to cost me something. It's that the goalposts move. So we talked about it a minute ago. Let's use tithing as an example. It's a practice that I follow. It's a practice that I've always tried to follow. And do you know when I first tried to do it? Do you know how difficult it was to give 10% away? Like, it was hard. And you're trying to make it work. And I did it. And you see now, it just comes out of my bank. Like, same way like taxes go and everything else, it just comes out of my bank. I don't even think about it. It's not part of my budget. It's not part of, like, it's, it just goes. It's the first thing that I send, like, comes out of my bank. It's, I give it to him. And, it, and so actually I'm challenged again, like, is that still costing me something? Because it's just become part of my life. Whenever I used to preach, like, like Lauren will tell you, there was about, oh, I don't know, four years, maybe more. That literally just before that, and that, if it was four years ago, and they were up singing No Longer Slaves, I would have been in the toilet vomiting. Like, just so, like, oh. And it used to really cost me. And I, like, I used to wrestle, Lord, maybe this isn't for me. And the Lord said, no, this is for you. And so I had to wrestle this thing. And it really, like, there's days it really cost me to get up there. Like, it really cost me to get up and take the microphone and share. Like, you don't have to have any fear or anxiety or any of that. And, and I was... 15 minutes before I was vomiting in a toilet. You see now, it doesn't really happen to me. And so I actually really quite enjoy it. And so it doesn't cost me the same. And so I have to wrestle with that. Lord, I don't want to give you something that doesn't cost me something. And you know actually how it, what's kind of shifted is that the Lord very often doesn't give me like, like big encouraging, like go get him messages anymore. It's stuff like this that really gets to our heart. And I get up to preach going, people aren't going to like this. But Do you know when we moved to Dublin, we, we, we realized very quickly that what we paid for a month's rent where we were, we were not going to pay for a week. Um, 
and we left all sorts of like we had to leave our jobs. We we moved with no. We saved up a little bit. We're like we've got two months. We're about to sign a twelve month lease on a house. And we've got two months to work this thing out, and we saved up a little bit. And we like, oh, this is. And actually, for us, it cost us everything that we'd saved and everything that we'd worked towards and like to get here. And now we enjoy it. Like it's like living here doesn't feel. Yes, it's hard because it's expensive, but. It doesn't feel like the same level of sacrifice. Like we don't realize and notice the sacrifice just the same because we kind of got used to it. And so I guess the rest of it always is, Lord, I gave you that and it really cost me, but it doesn't cost me the same. And so how do I, how do, I do it? How do I make sure that I'm putting something on the altar that you're worthy of? How do I make sure that I put something like Jesus, you put yourself on the altar for me, your whole self, Jesus, you did that for me and I want to put something on the altar that's worthy of you and who you are and what you've done for me. Everything else is worthless in comparison. But you know what's going to do it for us? Do you know what's going to help us? Do you know what's going to move us into that space? It's not just like vision Sundays with new church buildings and it's not going to plant churches in other locations and it's not someone doing a really good offering talk. It's not a good fundraising campaign. It's none of that. Do you know what's going to get us to that point where we realize that Jesus is worth it. It's just a moment with him. It's a revelation of him where I look at him again like Isaiah did and he says, God, I see you in all of your glory and I'm entirely undone. Like I am undone. I'll fall before you where John looks upon him in the book of Revelation and he's his friend, but he falls before him as dead and he realizes anything you want, you can have it because it's all yours anyway. You put the breath in this body. You keep this heart beating in this body anything I have is yours and Lord if you want it back you can have it at any moment but I don't want to give you something that doesn't cost me anything God and lots of us have dreams and ambitions and things we want to do for God places we want to go for God but the only way we're going to get there is through sacrifice through being willing to lay everything else down before him I can't hold all of what God wants to give me all of what God wants to like all that he holds dear I can't take it from him if I'm just holding everything that I hold dear over here he won't give it to me because there's no room for it and so I want to lay my life on the altar again for the sake not just because he's worth it but for the sake of my community for the sake of a town like Balbriggan for the sake of a city or a nation Lord what do you need me to put on the altar that might unlock the prayers for generations God what do you need from me what do you need from me If I want the fire and the glory of God to fall on me, on my community, if you want it to fall on this church in this area, then we need to make sure that the sacrifice that we bring costs us something, really costs us something. I cannot give the Lord that which costs me nothing. And I'm not telling you what to do, but in a moment the band are gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a song and I'm gonna pray for you. And here's all we're gonna ask him. Jesus is what I'm giving you fit for you that's it maybe it is maybe it's costing you everything right now brilliant keep going because he's worth it and more or maybe you're like me and you've got a little bit comfortable I say Lord I want this to cost me something 
want it to, for the sake of myself, for the sake of your kingdom. God, I, I want to bring you something that costs me something. What is it? I'll put it on the altar before you and you can have it. And so why don't we pray together? The band are going to come. Lord, what can we give you? Lord, what is a sacrifice that's fit for you? Jesus, I pray for every person in this room, like for a fresh revelation of who you are. (laughs) For a fresh revelation of who you are and what you've done. Jesus, whatever you ask for, you are worth it. You are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure in a field. Everything else is worthless in comparison to you. You are the prize. Could give everything else up and still have you. Jesus, you're the prize. Jesus, we recognize today that we find our life in laying it down before you. And so Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Jesus, we thank you for what it cost you. And so Jesus, make us people that bring you a sacrifice, a sacrifice that costs us something too. For your sake, for your kingdom, for your glory, for your fame. Jesus, we give ourselves to you again. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.